Dear listeners, you are tuned in to WOWD 94.3 FM, and this is Interfaith-ish. I am your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, one hour at a time, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listeners, you may have heard that this past week, at a special session of the United Methodist General Conference in St. Louis, delegates from the denomination's global decision-making body passed a plan to strengthen enforcement of language regarding LGBTQ United Methodists, specifically stating that, quote, the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching, unquote, and that, quote, self-avowed practicing homosexuals, unquote, cannot be ordained as ministers appointed to serve or be married in the church. What does this mean for the Methodist community? How have other traditions handled similar debates internally? This morning, my guests and I will be discussing how they perceive these developments and their experiences organizing with the LGBTQ community in interfaith contexts. So, without further delay, it's time to get into some interfaith-ish. Dear listeners, I'm happy to be joined this morning by Reverend Rochelle Andrews, an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, heading towards full ordination as an elder. Additionally, Rochelle works with the University United Methodist Church in College Park, Maryland, as a minister of community engagement. She's also CEO and president of the Vision Group, which works with businesses, churches, and nonprofits, helping them to fulfill their mission. And Rochelle spends much of her time working on policy, advocacy, and social justice activities to create educational and economic opportunities for underserved communities. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you. Also joining us is Ranjana Kar Kohli, who serves as an interfaith leader in the Sikh LGBTQ community. She is currently a board member with the Interfaith Council of Metropolitan Washington, representing the Sikh community. Ranjana volunteers with Center Faith, an LGBTQ interfaith organization, and because it sounds like she has so much free time on her hands, she's <laughs> also pursuing a master's in religion conflict at Georgetown University. Good morning to you, Ranjana. Good morning. So to start things off, um, because I think it's important for us to acknowledge our blind spots, I want to own the fact that some of the topics that we're discussing this morning is something that I don't usually engage in. It's not something that is a, a common topic of discussion um, in the circles that, that I, I personally move in a lot of the time. So when it comes to how LGBTQ issues come up in the context of institutional religion, um, I do feel like I myself am even wrestling to understand uh, my own opinion and, and uh, perspective on these things, which is to say that, you know, I'm here to learn from the both of you. And uh, I think that's in the spirit of this program, that, you know, feeling of, of openness and recognizing when we have our own sort of limitations or limited understanding about these things. So, um, you know, these are obviously tricky questions and not, not easily resolved, as we can see in the case of the UMC uh, experience. So, you know, let's, let's start there. Rochelle, can you give us your brief take on what the debate has been within the Methodist community, why it's taken so long, and really what happened last week? So I am, as you said, I am African Methodist Episcopal, which is AME. So we're Methodists, but I serve in the United Methodist Church. Um, that's where I work. I also work for uh, United Methodist Seminary 
So there's a lot of United Methodists going on with me right. as in Methodism in general. One of the things has been um, United Methodists is actually, UMC is actually only 50 years old mm. because they were Methodists for years, but they were split. And one of the biggest splits they had years for hundreds of years was over slavery. And even now downtown, you can, in downtown D.C., you can see certain churches, they have a writing on the top of their church buildings. And that would tell you whether they were churches that believed that the Bible was compatible with slavery versus churches that believed that the Bible was not compatible with slavery. Mm. So that is still, that came up. And then they finally united in in, in the uh, 60s, 68. That's the united part united, of United And that's Methodist. when they became, so they were the brethren. So they became United Methodist. So this is all stuff I learned. And then... Now, the biggest fight, of course, is the whole debate about LGBTQ um, rights and the right for clergy to be married and to be, what the Book of Disciplines, because all this is based on what our Book of Disciplines say. Okay. The you know, AME has one, United Methodist has one. The Book of Disciplines says what you, you, you mentioned, what it says. Um, the debate has been, it goes back down to what, how do you interpret the Bible? And I think for many of us and many of our religions, denominations, whatever, how you interpret the Bible becomes the dividing line about what you believe. If you're saying that you, we've always been taught, you know, this, I came from traditions that taught that homosexuality was wrong. And this is why, you know, I heard the story about Lot. People love to quote Leviticus. Um, I remember being a child and I read Leviticus and then I was like, okay, but up on top of that, it says don't eat shrimp. And I know that we, I came from an area of the, I came from the Northeast. We love the good crab feast. <laughs> so I didn't understand how one was okay. And another mm. verse wasn't. Um, and so the issue does become going back to the original languages. One of the things for me is, and, and another part of that is, is having good allies in the fight. You know, so while I myself am not, I do not identify as as a, a part of the LGBT community. I do try to identify, hopefully, hopefully as an ally. And I think part of the thing is having people who are allies not be silent. One of the, you know, a lot of times people say, well, if you're in the fight, it must be just because you are one. Mm. And we need more people who are who are not, but who say that we're all God's children. Mm -hmm. We all love, and love is the root of that. And so what we saw a lot of is how you interpret. Um, I grew up thinking that you know there's a there's a, a phrase we say in church, God loves the 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 sinner but hates the sin. And so I was raised that being gay was a sin. And so I I subscribed to that. And then. I read the Bible, and then more importantly, I read the Bible in the original languages. And when you start reading the Greek, when you talk about New Testament, and you start reading the Bible from the Hebrew, um, when you're talking about the Hebrew Bible, you're like, we interpreted this badly. We read this badly. We, we you know, you, you took words, because English, the English language is very hard. So English, if they don't know, like for instance with love, there are different kinds of versions of love in the original languages. We just put love on all of them. So we just have one verb. One version. And so a lot of this comes back to what you decided. Mm -hmm. And last week they had a, a, a group that are very conventional and they were like, this is the one way you read the Bible and this is what it says. And and then everybody else is saying, well, no, you know, as we started learning more, as we read more, it's not twisting the Bible because this is what you're going to hear people say. You're twisting the Bible around. You're twisting it to fit what you wanted to say. It's not twisting when you're learning. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we didn't know how cars worked years ago. And so is it is it. Is it twisting how we do things to say that today we can use electric cars? You know, mm -hmm. it's it's this kind of thing where when you learn more, you when you learn better, you do better. Yeah. So if we now understand what, you know, we're saying and what's going on, that is where we are now. And, and so a lot of the debate really came down to how you interpret the Bible. So up until this point, the UMC community, United Methodist community, is 
has been basically left to their own individual decisions. Individual uh, communities have decided whether or not they want to ordain somebody who's out in their in their community. Whether they want to, whether the the leadership wants to marry a couple that comes um, and and requests that of of I guess the 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 pastor or what have you in in that community. Is that is that about right? It's kind of been yes. So so for instance, university is is an affirming church. Years seven years ago, they voted. They went through the process to say that they're an affirming church. And affirming and affirming means to. that they that they are you know LGBTQ friendly. They are welcoming. They don't see a problem. But the the issue was the church. It was everyone kind of could do that. But there still was this, the, the Book of Discipline said. It was whether or not people were enforcing that the Book of Discipline said you cannot do these things. Mm-hmm. You cannot be a clergy and, 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 be, and be a practicing or avowing. And so then there's the one group started coming up more and more. The traditionalists, the um, WCA, Wesley Covenant Association, were pushing more and more to, to bring it to the conference. And so it became bigger. And so it became this fight. And so it got to where we are last week because the, the more traditional group wanted to enforce what the Book of Discipline said one way, and then the others were saying, well, we need to take those words out and allow people to live. We're, we're, so that's where we kind of had the debate where it kind of came to the head at the 2016 conference, which made them call this special mm-hmm. 2019. This because, was a special vote just on yes, this one because particular it, issue. Supposedly. Mm-hmm. That, and that became an issue because last week's conference actually started more discussing about churches who wanted to leave and the pension and money they actually didn't get to the LGBTQ, which was the reason they were there, mm-hmm. until the afternoon, and that really until later in the in the conference. And it was interesting because the the conference was supposed to be called for this purpose, and in the opening prayer, they left the whole community out mm. and had to be reminded that weren't you here for this purpose? Mm. So it's it was it's always been contentious as far as, but I mean the thing is, is it about what we believe? Or is it about love? Is it about money? Right. There's a whole lot of things going on there. So. Uh, you are are coming with the benefit of experience in different strands of Methodism. You obviously the United Methodists with whom you presently work, uh, as well as the African Methodist Episcopal, where in which you're you're ordained. Um, so tell us about um, any differences that are there uh, between the perspectives on on this. It, it, it you know it's it's it comes from a split on the issue of slavery, if I understand, and right? And racism, yes. And racism. And so um, is there also a split in perspective on, on this particular issue? The AME Church is much more conservative. We, I said to my friends who are United Methodists, I said, one of the things I said to them was, at least you all are having the discussion. Mm. You know, it may be fight, it's messy, it's hard, it's hurtful. It was really hurtful to see so many of my friends last week just literally being hurt by the words being spoken. But that's not even a conversation we're really having in the AME Church right now. It is one that we're working to bring forward. Um, it is because our dis- our book of discipline reads like theirs, and so and we actually I found out a couple of weeks ago that we have a judicial council the same way they do, who decides what kind of things can be said, done, or whatever. And so it's coming before the judicial council. They said in the next couple of years because we have our next conference next year as well. I see. Um, we all do every four years, mm-hmm. um, but we've already kind of been told that it's probably going to come sort of like that. All, all in favor, you know, that quick little no, no, and keep it moving, not necessarily a real conversation of what that means and are we really ready to tackle of what the language says and what the Bible says or are we just kind of not going to deal. So we're we're way more conservative, mm. um, which is interesting because in one of the divides among um, h- historically among African-Americans with the whole LGBTQ thing is that the idea of is it civil rights? 
Mm-hmm. And so I can say myself, I used to say that it was not. And then now I'm like, oh, wait, you know, rights are rights. And so I used to be like, don't say that you're black, your rights are different than, you know, that that's the same thing. But it is it is still about civil rights because it is still about wanting to be treated, treated like a human being and yeah. loved as a human being. So where do you think the, the UMC community goes from here? I imagine it's it for more conservative communities. It's it's probably just business as usual. But for those who are who support ordaining and, and marrying LGBTQ folks and in, in their church, I imagine it's it's more than just a disappointment because affirming churches have now have to decide whether they're actually going to go and change their practices, cancel weddings, or let people go from leadership positions, et cetera. It's going to be an ongoing fight because mm. a lot some some were saying I'm over it, I'm leaving, but a lot of the churches that are affirming churches, a lot of the churches, a lot of the bishop, the, like the bishop um, Karen. Um, they're like, oh, we're going to stay. This is our denomination as much as it's your denomination. We're going to fight because we deserve, we are all God's children. One of the bigger things everyone bought back, like at university on Sunday, we didn't have a traditional sermon. We had a healing service. We had a service of prayer. We, The pastor took us back to how John Wesley used to have small groups and talk, talking to each other and, and learning and loving each other, loving on each other as human beings, as people of God. And so a lot of the churches are doing that. We see a lot of churches this weekend you may see are taking out full page ads in major papers around the country saying that we're here and we're not going anywhere and that we are God's children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of churches this Sunday were packed, which people thought maybe churches would be empty, thinking they'd be mad or whatever. And a lot of churches, especially ones that were affirming, we're packed with people who are saying, I support you. I stand there. Um, we're all children of God. And so I think we're going to see, I, I don't know if the, 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 the ones who won the plan thought it would make people just get mad and take their marbles and go home. Um, it's going to be a fight. It's going to mm-hmm. keep going. And it's going to be one of the things we talked about was the need for those of us who agree, who disagree with the plan, but who agree that it's full inclusion have to be a lot more organized the, the traditional plan people actually hired lobbying firms, and so they they had like this set pl- strategic plan. I think a lot of times for us, we are very much like, you know, this is God. This is we're the love of God, and we, you know, we kind of have this kumbaya type thing, and we've got to get, you know, we've got to have lobbying firms. We've got to be stronger. We've got to be more, we, we can't just, you know, one of the things about John Wesley is he said that his heart was strangely warmed when he felt the love of God, we have to stop waiting in their heart to get warm because I'm not sure some of them have hearts, mm. to be honest. <laughs> if you're just joining us, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking this morning with Reverend Rochelle Andrews, who works with the United Methodist Church uh, as a, a minister of community engagement. My second guest this morning is Ranjana Korkoli, who serves as an interfaith leader for the Sikh community, uh, the LGBTQ Sikh community specifically. Uh, Ranjana, has this type of debate around LGBTQ issues uh, that we've been discussing in the Methodist context also been argued in a similar way in the Sikh community? Um, so no, uh, <laughs> basically. Um, there's not much discussion around it, right? So it's never been a topic that I think has really um, actually come up front and center. Uh, it's definitely a dialogue and a conversation that ne- needs to, I mean, I would say needs to be had, um, but it hasn't occurred just yet. Um, in regards to, there have been a lot of, um, so Sikhism is one of the world's youngest religions, actually. It's um, a little over 500 years old. Um, and I think maybe due to that, it's a pretty progressive religion overall when it comes to, you know, 
overall rights and whatnot too. So a big debate, especially lately, has been you know LGBTQ. You know where is stance on it? Um, in um, our holy book, which is called the Guru Granthab, there's literally nothing on homosexuality for it, against it. Um, so it's a, that's been a big part and parcel of maybe why there isn't much of a debate around it because it's kind of been seen as like a, a non-issue, just hasn't ever factored in. Uh, but nowadays, uh, especially you know within the U.S. and what's going on politically and stuff too, um, more and more of our youth are coming to you know. Kudrabas uh, and whatnot too, and being like, okay, well, what what is the stance, and how do we, you know, feel about this? Um, I've noticed that while in our faith, uh, in our actual religion, you know, we promote um, gender equality, uh, doesn't matter about race, caste, creed, whatnot. Um, culturally, though, that's not always been the case, right? So there's mm -hmm. a difference between culture and a difference between religion. And um, within the younger generation, people are far more accepting, much more liberal. Uh, you, you can talk about it, you know, and be more open. I've noticed, though, within older generations, and, you know, especially back in Punjab, which is, you know, the motherland of, of where uh, Sikhism was found, um, it's not that much, you know, they're much more conservative in their views. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's one thing I, I have, you know, definitely noticed. I've, I've been wanting to have more of those conversations and more of the dialogue. Um, me as well as a few other, um, I know members of my own uh, faith uh, church. Um, it's uh, Sikhodrav in DC. Some of us are, you know, we subscribe as being LGBTQ. Uh, some of us are a little bit more vocal and open about it. Some of us are not. Um, and some of our congregation members know, some of them don't. Um, and that's, you know, not because it, it just goes on to a comfort level. I mean, I've never had within my own, you know, church, someone come out and say, you know, no, you're not allowed to be here. You're not welcomed here. That's never happened. Um, however, it's not um, it's it's not a free flowing dialogue yet, which mm -hmm. I definitely think it needs to be um, and it should be. So, uh, tell us a little bit more then about about your own personal story yeah. and coming out to your your parents, you know, your community, who it is that you yeah. chose to tell in your community. So, um, for me, um, I came out later on, later out later on in life. Um, so, at that time of when I came out, I think to my parents, to my family, it was wasn't any you know big shock um, i identify as pansexual so uh when doing that my parents were like oh okay um but beforehand um what it was um so when i was when i was you know teenage years and even in, in high school uh high school and college and whatnot um i was um it was part of like you know uh, gay straight alliance and you know all these kind of different lgbt um and uh alliance groups and organizations and it was during the time of um Prop 8 in California, because I'm from California. Um, so that debate was coming up, and I, you know, we never really talked about LGBT issues in our house before. It never really came up. Uh, and I guess I always assumed, and I think my sister probably also assumed this as well, too, that we also figured that, you know, my mom was super progressive, and father was a bit more on the conservative side. Um, while both my parents are, are Indian, my father was born and raised in England, mom was born and raised in India. And my father used to use a lot of... Um, Derogatory, slang, derogatory terms uh, uh, for the LGBT community as like curse words and whatnot too, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I think that's a big part of uh, maybe British cultural language, right? So he used to use a lot of those words. So we always just assumed that like, oh, maybe dad's a bit more on the conservative side. We were having a conversation one day about Prop 8 and my mom was like, you know, I don't think that 
you know, men and women, men and men and women and women should be. I think marriage is between a man and a woman. And my sister and I, like, our jaws just dropped to the ground. We're like, what? We're like, how did you think this? And my dad's like, no, but you should marry whoever you want. Like, what, what difference does it make? And so we are like, as everything was just going crazy for us. We're like, I, this is completely opposite of what we thought. Um, and so that was interesting. And I was, I, you know, I was going, talking to my mom. I was like, why do you think this for? It doesn't even say it in, in our own tradition, our faith. And she's like, yeah. She's like, but, you know, you think about it, you know, in, in our own, uh, you know, even in cult- culturally and stuff too. She's like, that's what you do. You know, you, you, you end up getting, you go to school, whatnot, right? You get married and you have to have kids. And how are you going to have kids if, you know, it's, it's, you know, two men or two women? And I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of other ways, but okay, you know. And, but it also leads this whole conversation, too, of like, what if someone who, uh, you know, is, you know, impotent or, or barren or, or they choose not to have kids? Does that mean they therefore can't right. get married, right? It was a lot larger conversation. Um, so it was, it was, it was interesting. And it wasn't, so my mom was, uh, was I, and I learned about this was was actually a bit um, homophobic, and it wasn't until um, my undergrad, um, I had a really good friend of mine um, who who was a lesbian, but I didn't tell her, my mom this. So she came over for Thanksgiving, didn't tell my mom that she was a lesbian, and my mom spent the whole you know uh, weekend with her and stuff too, and loved her. She's like, oh my god, she's amazing, she's such a great friend of yours. And I was like, you know, by the way, she's she's a lesbian. And mom's like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, you're like, you know, she's she's gay, um, and I think that started. The wheel turning my mom's head, like you know, maybe I had all these mis, like, notions of of people and that they were wrong. And then, uh, between me and then all, you know all my friends and whatnot too, she's been more and more exposed to it. So now you talk to her, she's like, yeah, you know, I used to think that way, but I think I was kind of wrong. And I was like, mm. thank you, thank you for coming around. She got exposure. Yeah, she got exposure, and and she even said it too. She's like, you know, if it wasn't for education, it wasn't for you know me learning. She's like, I would still think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so so how do you counsel other young six who are figuring out their own sexual and gender identities? Yeah. What resources do you help them connect with to find support within the community? Right. So um, I would say within our actual community, um, because there is no actual uh, one set group or organization, if you will, of like LGBTQ uh, six um, that hasn't mm. been there yet, though it needs to be. Um, I would say, you know, just kind of creating that on your own safe space, right? So um, we have a lot of there's a coming out support group um, in DC Center. Um, oh, okay. So you know, that's so a, through an interfaith context. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so that's a one thing I would also um, I always advocate for them to go through or to go to. Um, another thing is there's a an conference uh, that happens every year called uh, Creating Change. They have a very good um, interfaith. Uh, community, if you will, for people who are coming out as well. Um, so that's something I, you know, would recommend them to. And also just, you know, being able to talk to maybe close friends and family members who are supporting them. Um, and even coming to, you know, once you're in church, in, in our church as well, too, there are, you know, people who you can, you begin to develop a relationship with um, and, you know, can talk to as well, too. And, and once you feel more comfortable, right? So, um and having them know that you know you don't have to necessarily can come out to everybody mm-hmm. you know if, if you want to if you're comfortable with it do it mm-hmm. um if not you know that's fine as well too for me um i probably came out uh i came out about a year and a half ago and uh to people in my congregation i came out um i mean some people I'm just coming out to now. Some mm-hmm. people I came out to, you know, six months ago, mm-hmm. a year ago as well, too. Um, I think sometimes people have this uh, demand that as soon as you kind of figure out who you are, what your identity is, you have to, you know, tap on sure, everybody's shoulder world. and sell mm-hmm. the world. It's like that you don't necessarily need to. You know, mm-hmm. you can 
take it one day at a time um, and, and, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with sharing. You don't mm-hmm. have to share. And I think that that's something else too. A lot of people have the pressure of having to share. And it's like, you don't necessarily have to. You should do with what makes you feel right. Or you can come on a radio show. Come on a radio show. <laughs> that's something else you can do. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We're talking this morning with Ranjana Korkoli, who serves as an interfaith leader for the Sikh LGBTQ community, and Rev. Rochelle Andrews, a, an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, um, who also works with the United Methodist Church uh, as a minister of community engagement. So I'm curious, aside from your own faith traditions, how do you see acceptance of uh, LGBTQ uh, folks in interfaith circles? So obviously the, the tone and tenor of of interfaith work is about acceptance of people who who are different, uh, who have different perspectives. But uh, it also means that you can be in a room that has people who are from different um, theological perspectives, but still have a fairly conservative social worldview. Um, so, what what are your experiences there? Um, so, I navigate when it comes to interfaith circles in like both hetero and LGBTQ uh, circles. Um, And I find it to be very bothersome when I'm in hetero uh, interfaith circles and there's this lack of, uh, you know, LGBTQ presence, right? Because it's very puzzling to me because because for me, I'm like interfaith. It's about you know, you know, opening doors, being accepting for your whatever your your faith tradition is, whatever your belief system is. Um, you're, you're saying uh, making the assumption that there isn't anybody who is LGBTQ in the room, or, or, that sort of thing. or right? So or some people who aren't because um, it's it's never when you have all these kind of like summits and organize or, or, or conferences and whatnot too, right? The the presence, the visible presence of LGBTQ um, is slim to none when it comes to um, hetero or more straight places, right? And for me, that's always bothersome. And even like the conversation around it too, like there, it's once again, it's null and void. It's not even there. And that, that for me is, you know, bothersome because it's like, you know, we can't, we can't sit there and practice like, you know, being inclusive and being diverse when here's a huge population that's not being addressed, right? Um, and I find that, you know, and, and it goes for any, anything, right? There's there's areas of improvement um, in, in multiple aspects, too. Even in, uh, especially in the, I've noticed in the DMV area, um, there's a lot of, when we have, we when we contribute to interfaith circles, um, it's uh, very heavily focused on Abrahamic faiths, which makes sense. But then there's also a lot of Eastern tradi- traditions that kind of get glossed over a bit. Or even, you know, coming to, it's about, it's about belief systems, right? So even having people who subscribe to secularism and, you know, athe- uh, atheism and whatnot, too, also have a tendency of not being in that circle as well, too. But so so I but I find it uh, uh, definitely bothersome, and especially when it comes to uh, the lack of LGBTQ presence in uh, hetero interfaith circles um, mm-hmm. that, you know. Rochelle, what about you? Are, are there interfaith spaces that, that you've found to be more welcoming in your organizing work, or are there other ones that you, you think are definitely have, have room for improvement? I think there's much. I think there's actually much room for improvement. I, I actually agree with you on that. <laughs> I think what we almost tend to do is their interfaith. We're like, well, see how we're playing together nicely with our different faith beliefs, you know, and then almost kind of like when, one of the things we will tend to do is try to, you know, we always say if we come together, let's find some common ground. Sometimes I find the common ground we find is being anti-LGBTQ. Wow. 
<laughs> and so, you know, and even if it's not openly anti, it's still kind of that undercurrent. She's right. There's not, in the, it's almost, it's like they got to have an interfaith summit of their own. That's not being inclusive. That's not really being interfaith if it's like, okay, we have our interfaith and they have their interfaith. Interfaith should also include inter all faiths as expansive as expansive as and inclusive because that that speaks to even what our traditions are saying about you can be part of our church but oh the, they're, you're a different part of the church so I, I agree I think we tend to be even when we do interfaith we still kind of have a us and them type of um, grouping and mentality even when we plan I mean but even as a woman a lot of times interfaith you will get in there and you'll see it's a lot of men you know that's a lot a lot of cisgender males have planned the interfaith summit so they're going to plan it according to what works for them mm-hmm. and a lot of times lgbtq conversations make them uncomfortable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm i'm curious in in the case of the methodist community um you've got a, a lot of historical divides already, right? I mean, Christianity isn't divided into so many different denominations. So what it, what what is said then to people that that assume, well, if you're not happy in this in this particular tradition, why not just create your own tradition? You know, why not why not split? It already split on on the issue of as you were saying before, racism and slavery. Why, why is it not something that would be an obvious choice just to split in this case, too, that there's sort of an affirming UMC and, and one that's not? Well, somebody, I, I thought about this, and I was like, why should they have to be the ones to leave? Mm. Why should anyone leave? I mean, the issue becomes is we all supposedly serve the same God, and we're all supposedly reading the same Bible. And so at some point, the, Jesus only really gave us one commandment love each other he didn't mention any of the other things we put all the other things uh, i i tease people all the time a lot of times in church and in, in christianity we love to quote paul we are paulinians before we're christians and that's a problem because paul was writing letters of opinion and letters of what he saw what he literally thought they got put in the bible that we use but that's not he wasn't out to write a lifestyle letters for us to do you know, Jesus literally told us what to do. He literally was like, love everybody, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the poor. And we're like, okay, you're gay, so I can't deal with you. Get out, get out of my church. Like, we just pick something Jesus never spoke about and then do it out of completely context of what Jesus said. All he said to us was love. And so I think that's really what we need to get back to. And so when you start saying to me, split, 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 you're completely missing what Jesus said about unifying. And the root of it is if we came back into love, the love of Jesus, then all the rest of this stuff can work out. But we just get stuck on all the things he didn't mention mm. because that's just easier or maybe more fun. I don't know. <laughs> mm. This is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. We've been talking with Reverend Rochelle Andrews, an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, who also works with University United Methodist Church in College Park, Maryland, as a minister of community engagement. And our second guest is Ranjana Karakoli, who serves as interfaith leader for the Sikh LGBTQ community. In the first half of our program, I asked all the questions, but we like to mix it up here at Interfaith-ish, so now it's time to turn over the mics to my dear guests for them to ask some questions of their own. Anything that they'd like to follow up on, anything they were familiar with coming in today that they want to understand better, anything they realize they may have misunderstood about each other's tradition. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So with that, I'll turn it over to my guests. Um, 
I actually have a question for you, Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned uh, about um, there's been uh, some of the divide uh, within within the African-American community of whether uh, LGBTQ issues are civil rights or if they're not. So I wanted to know what was the perspective of it on the saying that it's not civil rights? Like what, what was their argument, if you will? The argument, and, and, and I will say this, I will, I will speak just from my beliefs, mm-hmm. from me, because I was like, okay, at the end of the day, especially because I think probably because a lot of who I came in contact with of LGBTQ was a lot of white male or female people so my whole thing was like I had a boss who would say to me you know I'm going through the same issues you're going through and I was like okay but at the end of the day you have there's there's a level of white privilege you have in this country that I don't have you know she she liked to identify with um we now would say pronouns of he but I was like if you take off that you can you know you can still be a a white person whereas I'm going to be black I'm going to be viewed differently so the rights I'm fighting for are different um as I kind of matured a little bit, I will say, um, and saw some of the issues and maybe being involved in church and seeing the struggles and, and reading and learning for myself and even understanding how it had been so misconstrued in using the Bible, um, I realized that it really was about rights. And I think for me, it really also became saying that we are all humans That and, and, and think living, understanding the level of humanity is something I don't know if I really had. Um, and I, I've gotten and understood. And so there are different ways and different things within it, but they're all still about their rights, basic rights that we're asking for. We're asking as, as, as African-Americans, we're asking for basic rights to be safe, to live. Um, but as, as an LGBTQ person, they're asking for the right to live, to be safe, to love. I mean, there was language said last week at the conference that was so vile that they literally had started putting up on posts suicide information because they were scared of what it would cause some people to do. So I learned, I realized how dangerous words could be in any of these communities used the wrong way. And so that why, that's why I was like, it is a rights issue for us all. Um, another question actually I had as well too. I mean, that's fascinating. But um, another question I had as well too was um, for what do you feel that allies should do more in the UMC or AME tradition? Speak up. Um, there is there there is always this whole issue, especially for ordination issues, because I mean for for there's a long process for the Amy Church. It's a five year process for the UMC Church. It is multi years, and I know it's it's a lot of interviews, it's a lot of writing, it's a lot. And so sometimes people are scared to say anything because one, they're either going to be viewed as being LGBTQ. You know, I've gotten that, and the, people have asked um, me a lot, and I'm like. I don't understand why just because I said someone should be treated as a human means I must it it, it it defies to me what our Christian beliefs are to say that in order to care, I must be one. Um, and, and so that's part of the issue. I mean, I love people. That's that was what I'm called to do, especially as a minister. I'm called to love. And so I think loving being open if you're not sure, you know, I, I had a long journey from thinking that, you know, just praying that you don't go to hell because you're gay to you are my brother, my sister, you know, or however you want to identify. And we need to all work together because this world we live in together. And so um, I recognize for me where I came from to where I am now. And so I try to make sure I exhibit that same grace and love and then hope, hoping that that can be shown to them as well. Nice. Um. I think I, I I know you said a little bit about um, you just 
came out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm wondering is how how it has helped. How have you felt about that? Like, was there a sense this? Because sometimes some people say, you know, there's this weight. There's this sense of what if I say anything? Like, how has it has it affected your mental health? Because that's a huge mm. issue that I've seen among my LGBTQ friends. The weight, the mental weight of what it means to come out or not come out or what you think people will do. Uh, no, that's a great question. Um, it's actually interesting. So last night actually i was uh texting uh, uh his name's eric eldrich he's um he actually works uh in center faith as well too um for so he's a lot of lgbtq uh interfaith work um and for me he's he's very much a mentor and uh i was messaging him because i was like you know because i had to i just came out to somebody uh, in my congregation and i was like oh i felt a certain way like i don't like I don't, I don't have the words yet. Sometimes for me, like some, you know, I, I think I've t- been been able to speak to my, you know, my parents about it, and, and you know, my, you know, person I'm in a relationship with, and my sister, and and whatnot too. But speaking with, with you know, people in the congregation too, or just even the outside, you know, world in general, you know, I, I haven't been able to articulate those words yet. Um, so I, I was talking to him, and I was like, I'm really nervous. What do I? And you know, he was like, Okay, this is how you should approach things and whatnot. So, um. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I would say a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways, but it's also scary too. Cause it's like, how do I, I, sometimes I, I get lost with words of what to say or, or how to convey it. And, and, uh, um, and you know, how the person's going to react. Right. Um, it's, it's always is a little bit scary. Like, okay, so I'm telling you something and you're like, brace myself. What's this impact going to be? You know? Um, but no, I think overall, um, I, I'm really happy that and I, it, it has been, it's, I think for me, it was really confusing. Um, I think, and I think a lot of my during, not so much in high school, but it was really, um, in college as well too, that, I, um, my undergrad that I was really kind of confused until like, well, you know, because for me, it wasn't just like, oh, you know, I, you know, just like men, right? I mean, and, or I just like women or whatnot, too. So it was something else. I was like, it's like this feels a little bit different. I don't know exactly how to explain this. What are these, you know, what's this word? And stuff too? So, you know, using the term just, you know, gay or lesbian or, or straight, you know, none of those categories fit me. And so I was really lost until like, well, who am I? Who am I? And finding, you know, in the last year and a half to be like, oh, this is this is a word that I can use to perfectly describe my sentiments. Big relief, yeah. So, as if, if as an ally, what would you say to someone who is not sure, or how can we help? So, so like I know someone that I'm, I'm kind of thinking that they are, they are a member, mm-hmm. but they are. We are in such a tradition that is like you don't do this, and I don't even mean my my message. I'm, I'm I was raised Pentecostal. That is definitely not allowed. And so, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're struggling with that. And so I guess my question would be, maybe as an ally, how do you kind of, is there ways or ways to act or say or things to kind of let them know they're comfortable that if, even if it's just to me, or even if it's just to feel comfortable, there's not going to be a judgment zone there because they know we, we come from a shared background. They may be scared to, but it's clear that that's a struggle. Even mentally, I see this struggle they're having. I, I think, you know, uh, just living your own truth, right. And, and, and being someone who's always, you know, being always warm and uh, and loving and, and just showing that from example and when you're around them as well too, um, I they're gonna, you know, their walls are slowly gonna come down, right? I think anytime tapping someone on the shoulder, being like, hey, do you wanna, 
to want to tell me something, you know, that's going to be a bit awkward. And also, um, you know, sometimes people don't want to come out just yet. Maybe they haven't resolved it within themselves. Um, I think that, you know, when the person does feel open with you and, you know, and does share that part of themselves with you, let first let them do it on their own time. Um, just once again, showing that, like, you know, you are, in fact, a safe space and always, you know, putting out positive energy and, and love, um, I think will be very conducive for them um, but also you know giving them uh you know suggestions as well too of like okay you've you've coming out like what, what is there like what, what what now right what are the steps now um i think the dc center is a really good place to go to um you know they have coming out support group and there's a lot of um support for uh pe people struggling in the lgbtq community um and they also have it you know whether they have interfaith spaces as well too for them um they also have different you know religious spaces for them as well too there's also um even a cultural component as well too if the person's let's say you know african-american or if the person's uh, even um indian as well too um that's actually uh, one thing I you had asked beforehand, Jack, but that I, I forgot to mention was uh, when I have somebody in my Sikh tradition who's coming out as well, too. While we don't have a, a Sikh LGBTQ organization uh, just yet, um, there is a Kush DC, which is a uh, Indian uh, LGBTQ organization. So they can at least identify with the cultural aspects. And I know they have that as well, too, for the African-American community as well, too, and the Latino community. Um so, you know, just kind of giving them those resources and people saying, you know, at least you have how that. Yeah. So, again, this is Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM, and we've been listening to a conversation between Ranjana Korkoli, who serves an as an interfaith leader for the Sikh LGBTQ community, and Reverend Rochelle Andrews, an ordained deacon in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, who also works with University United Methodist Church as a minister of community engagement. Um, just before we wrap up here, I'm, I'm curious, again, just sort of thinking about the future, where we're going, where we're moving, particularly when it comes to interfaith context. You know, one of the trends that we see for millennials and younger are, are that folks don't fit so neatly into a particular box when it comes to their religious tradition. So I'm curious if you see a connection between one's religious or spiritual tradition and, or identity and their sexual or gender identity, given that on a societal level, we're seeing more and more people come to an understanding that's that's fluid in both in both situations. Do you see there being inevitable progress on these in in these traditional denominations, or do you think it's going to be outside of these religious institutions that there's going to be um, more of a welcoming spirit? Um. I think inside the actual traditions um, are going to be more welcoming and op open, personally, what I think. Um, I just think about uh, there is, um, in the Sikh faith, there's a organization, if you will, called SikhNet, and they kind of compile a lot of, you know, videos of people asking questions on, on about uh, Sikhi, and then also, you know, just kind of information about the religion and whatnot, too. And there was one... Um, uh, he's a, a priest, if you will. Um, his name's uh, Gurka, I believe, Singh. I believe is what his name was. And so he had a, a video, and they were asking him about like LGBT issues. Like, like he's like, you know, was it is it okay to be you know a asking a leader in the Sikh well, community? Well, he, he, they were asking, is it okay to be a homosexual Sikh? And you know, his response was, "This is a really confusing question. I don't really understand this because it's 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 like not like 
you know, who cares? Like, who cares with who you sleep with at night at the end of the day? Like, you know, that just has nothing to do with your faith tradition. Like, you, you believing and and being somebody, um, you know, you know, um, who loves and and is you know going out there and giving back to uh, to the community and and you know uh, upholding a, a sick values and traditions has has nothing to do with you know your sexual orientation and that's that's a viewpoint that you know he had and he shared um it's one that i agree with as well too um but i would say you know once again our youth is most of our youth subscribes more to that kind of notion i mean obviously not all everybody but on the whole they do um and i think just you know with time you know it's it's only it's going to get you know better and better and better and um and i think they're going to you know I, I don't know if there's ever going to be a time when there's going to be a firm hold stance where we're gonna be like this is you know putting our you know stake in the ground saying this is um, our our stance our belief onto uh, you know let's say LGBT rights or homosexuality or gender or whatnot as well too but I think uh, there you know there's acceptance and 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 um, going to be uh, even more accepting and more uh, I don't want to say tolerant but just open and. Mm-hmm. Michelle, what do you what do you think? I I think the young people are going to do. I think the thing. I think I agree. I think it's going to be in the institution. We have more who are coming who are saying that we will be better together, and that you know this is what we believe, and that and and again going back to that, it's rooted in the love of Jesus, and that includes loving everybody as they are. And again, and you know, like well, United Methodist has social principles. The social principles have nobody have no don't have anything to do with your bedroom. They have to be how you're living. You know, they have are you clothing people? Are you making sure people are you know okay? Not you know who are you sleeping with and what do you have who you're having kids with? So, I think as younger more pe- younger people come in, if they're wanting to be in a formal religion, they're gonna just help change it versus saying I just want to be outside of it mm. because we're better together with the power of the of the structure to help get more stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a very illuminating conversation. I want to thank you both for for being here today and sharing your perspectives, uh, exploring these issues. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, Before we go, do either of you have any um, events or activities you want to promote, uh, ways folks can be in touch if they're interested in following up? Uh, Yes, uh, I have a couple. Okay. Um, One is uh, on June 11th at 7.30 p.m., uh, the... Center Faith is having a 2019 Interfaith Service. Uh, so um, please like us on Facebook at Center Faith, and you can find all the information there. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is uh, this Saturday, actually, uh, at the DC Godrava. There is, from 6 to 11 p.m., we have a... Um, uh, Kirtan, which is kind of a religious hymns, if you will, mm-hmm. for the Sikh tradition. Um, it's happening. Um, it's from 6 to 11 p.m. Um, at the D.C. Godrava, which is uh, 3801 Massachusetts Avenue, Northwest. Um, and you can also like us on Facebook as well, too, and get even more information. And if you're ever curious about the Sikh faith or tradition, you can come in on Sundays. We're open to all. And I will always be there, so you guys can come find me and pick my brain. <laughs> Great. So, yeah. Hang out with Rantana. Yeah. So it's Ash Wednesday. So as Methodists, we have Ash Wednesday services. Um, University is actually on the campus of University of Maryland. So we're on 3621 Campus Drive. We have Ash Wednesday service today at noon. We also have one at 7. And we have various community events coming up. We help run a homeless shelter, and we help um, do some other things if you want to be part of the community that is not just affirming but also loving and affirming throughout the community. Um, you can reach me at revrochelle17 at gmail.com. 
again, I'm as she says, I'm always at the church as well and in the community. And so we look forward to having having seen you guys out there. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you both for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith Ish. I want to again thank my terrific guests, Ranjana Karakoli and Reverend Rochelle Andrews. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz Miller, and of course to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music for the show. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find all of our previous episodes for Interfaith Ish on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. Be sure to check out all the fun we had at our live show event at American University, which is up in the feed. There's also video from the show on YouTube, so you can get the full experience. We hope you you uh, enjoy that, and we look forward to doing another live show real soon. So if you want to bring Interfaith-ish to your campus or community center, you should be in touch. You can always find Interfaith-ish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can send an email uh, about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com Interfaithish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week streaming online at TacomaRadio.org <laughs>